Jack LeBron. Hi, I'm David Reynolds, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars. Tony Whitlock and Craig Lavelle, and we're joined by one of the longtime members of the media pack, that being Adrian Mussolino, editor of Supercars Extra. Adrian, you had the pleasure, which neither Craig nor I have had, of attending a meeting. You went to a V8 supercar meeting at the weekend. Yes, uh, first time since the uh, Superloop has a 500 back in February, so it's been a um, fair while between drinks. But the good thing about being in South Australia is there were, you know, in the shuffle of the calendar, there were suddenly two rounds at the Ben Motorsport Park, and um, it was good to be back. Well, of course, um, you had the pleasure of scratch and sniff, and there it was. Um, my last day of uh, going to a meeting was the Grand Prix Friday, which, was, of course, was like a, a, a fall, just sort of fell over the circuit as you listened to the abuse of people thrown at uh, the Grand Prix organiser, which was really very sad, and unfortunately was a clear demonstration of the lack of fans' real love of the sport when all they can abuse people about is the fact, oh, they didn't get a photo of Hamilton, and, uh, you know, that rubbish. Anyway, yeah. so you went as a fan on Saturday to Salem then. Tell us about yes. the experience of uh, getting back to a race meeting again. It was good. It was um, obviously there's still limitations within the paddock and for the media there's limited access. So, you know, I took the opportunity to sort of wander around the track and um, it's a big track to wander around. Um, but um, yeah, it, it was great just to sort of, you know, go back to the sights and sounds of supercars and, you know, watch amongst the crowd. It, it was really good. And, um, you know, the good thing about, you know, racing again is it sort of reminds you of, you know, why we're fans, you know, at the end of the day. And um, it's, you know, a great track for that, you know, that it's, um, it, it's such a big complex and there's so much space that you can sort of spread yourself out and, with the hotel there, it was almost like it was purpose built for, you know, these COVID times. Um, so it just sort of worked out well that, you know, the, the circuit was able to do the two rounds, you know, without a hiccup. And, um, you know, um, it, it's, you know, when you all said and done, we're going to get a proper size championship at the end of the day. And critically, they were able to offer two weekends of racing on two different tracks. What was it like having the Western Circuit used? Because uh, it's a, a different layout, but it's a lot of the same. It, it was good as, as a spectator because the cars come around a lot quicker and, and that's the thing you definitely noticed compared to the previous weekend. And, and it was, uh, you know, it, it felt like that sort of boring that you'd expect at a Simmons Plains or a Barbagello. So it was great. And that's a big advantage of that complex is the fact that you could run different layouts because, you know, the back-to-back rounds, while it was critical to you know, complete the championship. It did have the drawback of it felt a bit same, same when you came to that second weekend. So, you know, it changed the vibe of the racing. And, you know, I thought that sort of, you know, the new corners that it added, you know, it, it was, it helped the racing and um, it was a good spectacle. And going forward, it gives the track some flexibility in terms of what it does to future events. What has been very evident at Tail and Bend is the aero problem that's been plaguing the sport was highlighted once again. 
weekend before Van Gisbergen saying that he couldn't make a pass because he was just, you know, locked in. He had two laps where his tyres were an advantage. And then again this weekend, drivers saying similar things about get within a half a second of the car in front and it's all over. You just you lose so much front end stability that you've got no hope of making a pass. Absolutely. And that was there at the first day, you know, the first race meeting of the year in Adelaide at the street circuit is the drivers were saying that, you know, the error just, you know, wasn't up to it. And, and they found it difficult to follow each other closely and therefore pass. And that's been a consistent theme all season. And it's something Supercars really does need to address because while they've attempted to make some cuts and reduce the level of downforce, it's clearly not enough. And, you know, you're saying, you know, what was it like for me to be a spectator at the event again? Having not seen the cars in person since February, you're just reminded of how massive the rear wings are and how big they, you know, they make the cars look. And obviously, it has a, you know, a negative impact on the racing. And it's just something that the series really does need to address, especially you know when you're going to different layouts and different circuit configurations, and it's the same result. It's clearly fundamentally an issue with the cars. Did you, as a, a fan, did you get the chance to actually go to the back of the garages to see into them? Uh, no, that was sort of um, sectioned off. It was fenced off. So where usually at Salem Bend, fans might mingle within the paddock and, you know, where the hotel is and that sort of, you know, the visitor centre, that was all sort of sectioned off for, you know, media and paddock people and, and things like that. So, you know, while I could get in there, it wasn't the sort of same vibe you would have at an ordinary weekend with fans mingling, which, you know, has been obviously – you know, necessity this season, but it's it's definitely noticeable when you're there because it's something that we've become accustomed to and fans have become used to. And it's a great thing about the sport that fans can get so close to the team and drivers. So hopefully, you know, once the season's over and we go into next year, there's some gains and some return to normality. And the one thing that we do know you were there for was another demonstration by Mr. McLaughlin, the young yes. master, who... Um, showed yet again as to why he's a, now a triple supercar champion. Um, he has got the qualifying so packed, just extraordinary how well he's doing at it. It, it is incredible, and it's something that was there really from his rookie season with Gary Rogers Motorsport, and it's been consistently good in that department. Remember back to you know, his seasons in the Volvo as well, he was just a qualifying master. And it, it's just something he now he, he can always – seem to drag out that one or two tenths that makes a difference in such a compact and, um, you know, such a parity-based formula. And it's it really does set him up. And it's clear in the races, as we're saying, with the error difficulties, you know, qualifying is half the battle almost. And, you know, he puts himself in such a strong position. And it's why he's been able to, you know, um, secure the championship or provisionally at least before the final round of the year is his... He's at another level and, you know, all the talk of IndyCar and obviously he'll be racing the week after Bathurst in America. You know, you get the sense like Marcus Ambrose, there's bigger things waiting for him overseas. Indeed. Um, One of the sad things I thought was that I didn't hear much talk, and I'm not sort of having a go at Scott McLaughlin about this, but I didn't hear much talk about the Stone Brothers, which is where he first landed. Um, I, You know, I I know Steve McLaughlin. and, uh, you know, the Stone Brothers, that they ended up a, a bit of friction, I think, there. But 
Um, they played a, a large part, along with Chris Jewell, in, in forging Scotty's career. Um, I, I was fascinated to, to hear, in fact, uh, Neil Crompton putting those uh, uh, pundits down who say, oh, yeah, it's only because he's in a Mustang, it's a hot rod car and mm. blah, blah. But, of course, as you, as you just said, when he was in the Gary Commodore, when he, he was in the Gary Volvo, uh, and then a, a Falcon at DJR before Penske's up there, um, he has been a gun whatever he's been in. Absolutely. And yeah, going back to the development series days, he was a teenager. He was, you know, from memory, 15, uh, 16, 17, when, it, when he started in um, what we know as Super 2. And it was a big risk from the Stone Brothers at the time to, to put him in. And, he, you know, that Fujitsu-backed car. And, you know, he did the hard yards and he climbed up. And, you know, the year he won Super 2, he was fighting against Nick Perkett, Scott Pye and Chas Nostra. It was a real sort of golden um era for, for Super 2 and as you said that that pace was there I remember I was at his first Supercars meeting at Sandown um, in 2012 and he was driving alongside Jonathan Webb at Techno Autosports and you know they were running in the top 10 and you know you need a decent co-driver to get you know results like that and, and you know from the time he stepped into Gary Rogers motorsport he was on the pace and you know, he was a race winner within the first few months of his full-time career. So it, it's always been there. It was inevitable that he was going to go to a bigger team. And and as soon as he did, he was right in terms of contention. So there's no doubt it's been, you know, an incredible rise. And he's proved himself at every level in every car. You know, um, if you look at it, he's, he's one in a Commodore, he's one in a Volvo, he's one in a Falcon, and he's one in a Mustang uh, across two teams. So. His um, the, the talent is clearly there. Um, interestingly, uh, when Scafey joined HRT back in the late 90s when uh, Rocky had left, um, I, I long remember um, I came up with the idea that, that Scafe was working to a different schedule to every other driver in the paddock. Um, because and I actually rang Fred Gibson and I said, I'm not looking to give Mark Scafe a, a, a handle or a, a, a nickname, but I regard him as the technician because he was going over data long before any other driver was. So there's a degree that he was. And Fred totally agreed with me that Mark was the technician. And I heard Larko at the weekend talking about that when everyone had gone home after the Taylor men won this year, that there was uh, two guys still in the garage um, in in uh, Ludo and, and uh, Scotty's going over the data still. That same desire looking for that, that, as they call one percenters nowadays, that little hidden extra thing. I remember meeting Scotty as a 14-year-old. I travelled with Jason Bright down to Hamilton. I think it was the very first Hamilton when I met uh, Scotty as a, uh, a now then uh, Fujitsu driver mm. in a go-kart at the Hamilton yes. go-kart track. And by crikey, he was young and enthusiastic and by crikey, he just couldn't wait wait to get into something that had a bit more power than his go-kart. Um, did you get a, a sense that the uh, series is, is, is fairly strong? I mean, obviously, they're very limited on numbers and all those sorts of things, but, uh, you know, with travelling and walking around the paddock as you have for many years, was there still a unified sort of feeling about the paddock? Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, the, I think... The thing we've seen on this sort of restarted season is that, 
you know, although we had that mix of winners early on, which was more down to the tyre format than anything, you know, the the big team still came through in the end. And DJ Team Penske have such a strong culture there, a strong setup, and you know, it's from the top. And it's you know, it's almost that Penske way that we talk about, and it sort of filters right down to the bottom. And you see that within the team, and you know, there were, you know, between the two Tam and Ben round, you know, they were the mechanics were, you know hanging out and sort of, I think there was one night they sort of camped outside of the, you know, track did a barbecue and, and that sort of culture there. And, and, and Scott McLaughlin fit in so well there. That's why he was getting results right away with them. And, you know, what you're saying about, you know, McLaughlin's commitment, there's been no resting on his laurels. If you think last year was a record-breaking season for him and then he goes away in the off-season and then he comes back and he's a lot leaner and he's lost, you know, um, some way, and he he definitely looks, and that's partly as obviously as a result of his future IndyCar commitments. But you know, even that just shows that he, he's not one to sort of rest on his laurels, and that's why you see he just sort of rolled on, and it, um, you know the results speak for themselves. The other interesting thing, Adrian, was the fact that uh, Jamie Winkup demonstrated why he is such a professional person in the sport and also the type of person he is, the way he uh, said that this year's championship was probably the hardest ever to win because of all the uncertainties, because of everything that uh, happened throughout 2020. Absolutely. And, you know, credit to Jamie for saying that. I think one of the stories of this year that's been forgotten a bit is Jamie Winkup's role in off track as well. You know, not only is a part owner of AAA, but he's also stepping up within supercars within uh, the commission and, and things like that. But, um, you know, if we think back to 2020 and people it's impacted the most, you'd have to say Scott McLaughlin was one of them because he was meant to be competing in a number of IndyCar races throughout the year. Obviously, that got sort of pushed back by COVID and there was so many doubts about whether he would be able to get back there. There's the ongoing rumours about whether Petsky is still committed to supercars. So McLaughlin had all that in the background, I'm sure, of, you know, he had this big opportunity to race in IndyCar and it looked potentially like it was going to go away. And he didn't make that phase him at all when he just you know, turned up every supercar round and delivered. And, you know, he continued on where he left off. So, you know, he's described it as his best championship and because of the situation and the scenarios around 2020. And it's hard to argue with that, despite the fact that last year was actually, you know, most wins in a season in, in the history of the sport. Now, uh, another huge um, announcement in the week just past was a new television deal for supercars. And obviously there's a lot of history with supercars and the Australian Touring Car Championship and Channel 7, but mm. it seems like they've uh, really been able to solidify what they did uh, five years ago now with a 200, I think it was $240 million um, deal, which was cash and and advertising contrary, if you like. They've come back with, I think it's a, uh, it's a year less on the deal anyway, but for $200 million, which is very interesting to see how much uh, the series has consolidated its position. 
Absolutely. And in this time when, you know, sports all across the board are struggling with TV deals and there's a lot of uncertainty around, you know, Fox Sports and their future and their um, financial viability and um, free-to-air networks, you know, also suffering as a result of the COVID-19 and and the like. It's been, it's a pretty impressive deal, especially when you consider that, you know, let's be honest, trading in Channel 10 for Channel 7 is probably a step up in terms of a bigger, wider audience and um, a network with more, which, you know, if you think back in the past, I've probably done more to leverage their supercars role. You think of, you know, James Courtney on Dance of the Stars or, or that sort of thing. You know, that all makes a, a difference. So it, it's a pretty impressive deal. Obviously, the core of it is with Fox Sports and, you know, that will anger certain people, um, you know, who don't want to have to pay for that. But the reality is that's uh, the way of the world nowadays and it's Although the, the free-to-air component will still be the same, you sense that Channel 7 might be a bit more committed in terms of its, you know, the, what it puts into the sport. And um, and obviously, you know, come the marquee rounds, the Adelaide 500, the Bathurst 1000, they're going to be big players and, you know, will broadcast it to a, a pretty massive audience. Mm. Yeah, and if ever there's going to be a, a big Bathurst, well, it's going to be uh, what we'll see in uh, 2021, I'm sure, because the likelihood is we're going to have a 500 and a 1,000 at different parts of the year. And uh, that's going to be interesting uh, viewing for all the supercar fans. Yeah, it, it's going to be fascinating. And I think back to sprint rounds at Bathurst, it was, you know, going back to 95, 96 when they last had them. And, um, you know, they didn't quite work then, obviously. That's why they didn't sort of, you know, didn't remain a fixture in the calendar. So it, it's fascinating to see how that goes, you know, as the start of the season. We've become so used to starting the season at the LA 500 that now started at Bathurst. Having finished the last season at Bathurst, it's, it's going to be a big period of adjustment, but this is a chance for supercars to rework that calendar, you know, find out what works, what doesn't. Um, play around with some of the events that may have been struggling a bit in certain dates and, and go from there. And, you know, who knows if, if the Bathurst 500, if if it works, if, if you know, it, it's marketed properly, then why not? It, it will obviously have a different character to the 1000 as a, you know, as a single driver, sort of um, more of a sprint format. Um, you know, we'll have to see, but it'll be fascinating to see what sort of crowd they get given that, you know, so many people are going to be locked out of the 1,000 uh, this October. Mm. Now, finally, people aren't going to be able to get to the 1,000, but Supercars Extra magazine and also, importantly, the Bathurst program, which you're responsible for, is going to be available in newsagents. Yes, it's available in newsagents from early October, um, and obviously it's available for purchase at the moment at supercarextra.com.au. And yeah, it was, um, it's been a privilege to do the Bathurst program for the last few years. Um, this one, obviously, you know, given all the situation and the fact that there's going to be limited crowds, it's you know, it's important that it's been readily available for people who would ordinarily go to the round and buy it at the track. That it's um, available to be delivered to their door anywhere in the world. So um, that's available to purchase at the moment. And um, 
yeah, you know, there's a lot of history around this Bathurst, you know, the first championship season finale since 2000. And, you know, it's, it's going to be a very different feel, you know, once they're there to see no crowd at the top of the mountain. That's going to be a, a very odd sensation. It's one of the things that uh, we've all been looking forward to is a, is a uh, well, a, a championship uh, obviously has been decided, but there's still a team's championship to be decided. But we're, uh, as you know, that there's been some good, TV coverage and and newspaper coverage of the series, uh, reporting on uh, the win at the weekend for both Cam Waters and uh, Scotty McLaughlin. There's obviously going to be some change next year. Now, you know, there's been conjecture for some time about, you know, is Penske pulling out or what's going to happen there? Are you across some of the moves that are being mooted? I mean, the the Pasquale uh, uh, going to Penske's. I mean, Erebus obviously have two drivers signed for next year and neither of them is Anton, which is a bit surprising given that he has been such a coming driver. Um, have you heard other rumours about who's possibly in the second seat at Penske uh, next year? Yeah, it, it's again, it all hinges on Scott McLaughlin because the belief before the pandemic hit that he was more likely to know his future earlier in the year. So he would have had those, you know, a few outings in IndyCar, really seen how he dealt with it. That would have, you know, obviously sorted out his future with Penske and whether that's an IndyCar. Um, he's still contracted the supercars, DJ Team Penske team next year, but obviously if they move him across the IndyCar, that frees that up. And, and that sort of, you know, leaves arguably, you know, the, the most prized seat in the series available. And and also you factor in that Fabian Coulthard, you know, hasn't had the easiest season. He bounced back at the second time on Ben, but, you know, his future is in doubt. So, you know, but Deep Squally made, complete sense as the person that would move in there, which set up the situation where Airbus had its replacement already sorted with Will Brown. So it all really depends on McLaughlin, but you know, there's ongoing talk of Deepa Squire could move in there. There's also the rumour that Will Davison's a possibility in there. Remember he drove for that team when it was Dick Johnson racing back in the late 2000s. So it's it's all up in the air, and it's probably going to hinge on how McLaughlin fares in IndyCar the week after Bathurst. If if you know Penske decides they want him and and over there, then you'd say there's potentially two spots available within that team. So I think it'll be a very delayed silly season as with everything in 2020, and it could be the case of Dean Squirley's either slotted in there or you know he's moved elsewhere. You know, let's not forget he's managed by Paul Morris. So Paul Morris has some, you know, pretty good connections within the paddock. You'd think he'll land somewhere. Um, and um, it could be a case of he's either slotted into somewhere else or, you know, who knows, Erebus may run three cars and there could also be some licenses up for grabs. So it's going to be a messy, silly season, probably delayed um, late in 2020. Like uh, many of us, uh, Adrian, you live in a AFL uh, state. Um, that being uh, Adelaide Crows and Port Adelaide. Um, yes. And the one thing that has dominated the season uh, that I felt has been fantastic to see and enjoy is that the expression, never let a, a disaster um, go, always take the opportunity. And I think that Supercars has reflected the same thing that the AFL had. Take the opportunity to try things, do things differently, and I think that uh, supercars could well come out of this pandemic era um, as a stronger series with more focus on what succeed and what they should do in the future. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. It's forced a 
big reseat. And if we remember back to pre-pandemic, that was in the works anyway with the news that Holden was being retired. So there was a big, you know, big soul searching regarding what the future of the category looked like under Gen Three, and, and you know, there was the need to change up the rule books anyway before this pandemic hit and it's going to have massive economic repercussions. So um, th- there'll be a lot of, you know, rethinking going on and how next season looks and beyond that, what Gen 3 looks like from 2022. So, um, you know, I think the teams and series really need to focus on how to make it as affordable to go racing as possible because the lifeblood of the sport is the you know the bread joint racings and the, you know the, the tickford and those sort of teams that you know they probably don't have the, the big support and, and they you know put up you know if you think of those two teams they contribute eight cars between them so the grid so um, it's going to be a big racing but hopefully some of the less applied you know regarding cost cutting regarding putting on a show are, you know, adapted and, and we can move forward because, yeah, the series needs to think about how to stay. Well, thank you, Adrian Mussolino, for joining us from Supercars Extra. We hope that you'll join us before the Bathurst 1000 or maybe a chat because there may well be some more developments on Gen 3 that we'd love to hear that your uh, understanding of it. Um, so thank you for joining us on Inside, Inside Supercars. Inside Supercars Rell and Tony is with produced Locke. by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.